I had to look it up. I had to look it up. But Robert Browning was the one who said, grow old along with me. The best is yet to be the last of life for which the first was made. And I have heard that a lot. I've been at weddings where somebody's like, that's what I want to do. I want to grow old with you. The best is yet to be. But I thought as I watched Donald Trump standing in court with 34 counts of felonies, indictment against him, I thought, you know, I'm not sure Robert Browning always gets it right. (laughs) I think sometimes your best days are behind you and you got to kind of face up to the fact that you are a diminished person in stature. And uh, that was a weird experience watching that. That's not the way most of our presidents go out. You say, well, he's not necessarily going out. And that is true. But even if he came back, I saw him there, the emperor with no clothes. And that is a weird experience, even if you don't like the emperor. You know what else is a weird experience? It's a weird experience to just wax eloquent into a microphone in a room all by yourself and and to wonder, like, who's listening to this and what are they thinking? Are they tired of of me yet? And... uh, (laughs) Do you hear that laugh? That's, it, 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 I am in a room alone, but on the other side of the country is my friend John Wright, also in a room alone, laughing at me. <laughs> so, John. Hey. Welcome. Yeah. How are you? Welcome to this podcast. I believe this, this issue has a number, right? It's like number 809. Is it? I think it might, uh, it might be 808, actually, this one. 808. It is 808. Yeah. yeah. Which was the um, model number of an old uh, synthesizer that became the sound of the 80s. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. These are the other things. I had a friend who, uh, not a friend, but a potential guest who looked up the podcast and they wrote back and they're like, wow, you've done 808 episodes. Yeah. I think this. uh, The way we number. Throws people off. Yeah. The way we number throws people off. Because a lot of podcasts, it's just sequential where for us, it's the year. Yeah. Eight means it's the eighth year of the podcast, and this is the eighth podcast of the year. Yeah. Oh, good. I mean, you know, it, it fooled that person into wanting to come on the show. I wonder if they'll stop being fooled when, when it's like 14,000, you know. <laughs> right. 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 You, yeah, right. And you, and, and you wonder, like, people, people are like, wait a second. There's never, there's never 875. It's, you know, like, like, I wonder at some point somebody realized, like, huh. I'm going to have to start a podcast where there's just a random number at the top of every one. Yeah, just <laughs> it's just whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was watching Ted Lasso the other night. There's a character on there that's sort of a mashup of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It's like mm-hmm. this very egotistical soccer star who's been all over the place. At one point, he addresses another player on the team whose name is Zaru or something like that. He says, "Thank you, Zoro." And I guess says, "What's well, Zaru?" And he looks at me and says, "Who says?" And the guy says, "My parents." He said, you know, I, I let all of my children name themselves when they're nine years old. <laughs> he says, you should call yourself whatever you want. And the guy says, you know, the next day the guy comes in and somebody says, hey, Zaru. And he says, no, no, no. Um, from now on, I'm. Uh, comes up with something. Yeah, he comes thing. up with like some name of like, I'm Mr. T. And he says, mm-hmm. why are you Mr. Because I like Mr. T. And like, you know, <laughs> the idea of everybody picking their own name. I'm like, well, everybody can pick their own number of the podcast. Why not? Why not? All right, but so anyway, all I know is whatever the number, if you're here, we're doing some questions from some of our podcast audience. Yes. Do you have questions? I do. I have two questions, and I want to get to both today, if we can. That sounds ambitious, but let's go. Here's number one. Uh, Dear Bart, on the Patreon bonus episode last month, you mentioned Ian McGilchrist. 
it seems to me that there's something to his work, along with Bernardo Kastrup, Donald Hoffman, and the like, who seem to suggest that the fundamental nature of reality is not physical, but rather something like consciousness. I would honestly love to hear your take on the apparent beginning of a shift in this area and its implications. No. No, I'm just going to say no. You will not hear my take today. I'm not no, going to answer that You're question. not going to answer this one? Well, I am not. Haven't look, you look, been reading Ian McGilchrist? Yes, and that does not make me capable of talking about Ian McGilchrist. I, I mean, the truth is there is, like, first of all, Ian McGilchrist is brilliant. There is something there. Secondly, although he's much smarter than me and much more learned than me, I still fundamentally think, and I think that our listener has it right, that he does believe that sort of consciousness is what generates everything else rather than the other way around. In your opinion, does he have good reasons for thinking that? In other words, is there something we've learned about consciousness? Because I thought that consciousness is kind of a mystery. It is a mystery, but it's less of a mystery now than it was, you right. know, 20 years ago. We're working I mean, on it. We're working on it. And this would be a, an article of faith rather than an article of learning. Mm -hmm. I still fundamentally, like my intuition tells me that consciousness and spirituality are generated by the brain. Like that's, that's my, my gut. Yeah. My gut tells me that. And you say, but I, I just have the sense that we're the, all connected. The, the physical brain is the substrate is, yeah. is the, it's everything's dependent on that. If you didn't have the physical, you wouldn't have consciousness. Yeah. Like I think consciousness is something that the brain does. Mm -hmm. not the other way around. But my son, Ian McGilchrist, lots of other people, they suspect differently. And like, I'm not saying they're wrong to suspect differently. And of course, all great discoveries are when somebody like questions or creates an alternative theory yeah. to the, the established thing. So like, I'm not writing them off, but the truth of the matter is like, first of all, my gut tells me that if I was, if, if Ian McGilchrist and I were in a room together, and he got done saying all his stuff in a way that I could understand, which I know he's fully capable of because I've heard him do it. I would still go like, yeah, I beg to differ. There's something about it that doesn't land with you. That is what I think. But right. it's a really good question. And so instead of actually saying anything, except that I don't know enough to say something, what I will say is we got to get somebody who can talk to us about this stuff. What about and, Ian McGilchrist? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny, like, some of our guests have been on the Sam Harris show, right? Yeah, we've, we've shared we a shared few guests, guests with Sam Harris. Emma Gurkhas was on Sam Harris. In fact, uh, Bar, um, Bart Ehrman, who we just Bart had, Ehrman was, just was on, on, was on yeah. Sam Harris. I think TM Lerman might have been on Sam. I'm not sure. Mm. You know, Johanna Hari was on Sam, Sam Harris. Like, you know, lots of people that we like are on Sam Harris. Right. Emma Gurkhas was on Sam Harris, which means he might be willing to come on our show. I mean, I certainly think we should reach out. Like, it doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah. But I also think there are probably other people that can talk about this idea very well. And I would love to get into a dialogue with one of them. So rather than me like waxing eloquent about something in which I'm not expert, I'd rather use the old humanize me trope of finding somebody who really knows what they're talking about and having me be the idiot that asks them questions because I'm genuinely curious. Do you acknowledge what the listener is saying about there's a, a beginnings of a shift in this area? Like it seems like more and more people are on this train of consciousness is some some more fundamental part of the universe. And it, it seems to me like it could be related to the uptake in psychedelic experiences, you know, where people are experiencing something that feels to them 
like it's super, super real beyond their body or their life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's part of it. I also think that as traditional religions are shrinking and finding less of a hold in a lot of people's lives, that need for some kind of woo-woo, for some kind of it's bigger mm. than the world is bigger than me. You're I'm so part right. Of something bigger. Yeah. Like that. I think. I think that it, that was. This would be the most scientifically credible place for that to go. Right. And obviously, like these are not stupid people. Like Sam Harris is not a stupid person. He's all into this stuff. You know, the consciousness stuff. I think he's still a materialist, though. You know, w without exception. I think that he thinks it's very interesting. He's got open questions, but I don't get the impression that Sam Harris thinks that. Consciousness is the fundamental right. substrate of the universe or something. Yeah. I probably ought to listen to him talking to Ian McGilchrist and see if I can figure them out. But in the meantime, what I will say is this, is that, yeah, I do think that our human desire for some kind of magic, some kind of woo, some kind of substrate that connects us all more tangible than our shared history. Mm-hmm. I think that's just always been there and it, it ebbs and flows. And so is there something really new happening here? I go like, I don't know if it's that right. new. I remember years ago when people went to see that movie Avatar for the first time, Bart, and they got out of the theater. There was a subsection of people who went in there and watched that movie in glorious 3D, you know, and all its color and everything. And it had some sort of like consciousness of the planet Pandora or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they left and they were just like, sad that the real world wasn't like <laughs> you know they didn't like they couldn't find those glowing trees or whatever yeah, yeah. i mean and, and so P, i think you're right there's a hunger for that kind of thing and we can do a really good job i think of calling attention to the beauty and the shared stories shared realities and even our imaginations as far as fiction many many things go into it but like I think you're right that, that people are fundamentally not. It's deeper than that, John. Because, like, people, like, you know, you go to Carl Jung and Jungian psychology, you know, the idea of a collective unconscious. And right. you're like, is there evidence of a collective unconscious? And I go, like, yeah, there is. Like, we're not born into this world blank slates. Mm -hmm. And so I still think that's a physical reality. Right, right. So the thing is, is that I think that this is one of those places where people of goodwill and of good intelligence could disagree. Yeah. And the answer remains to be proven. My instincts lead me in one direction. When it's your instincts, you should admit that it's your instincts and not say it's common sense. Yeah. 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 All right. Enough of that. So anyway, okay. we'll, we'll get to that. Thanks for the question. Sorry, we don't have an answer. Even sorry that it takes me 10 minutes to say I don't have an answer. <laughs> no, I think that's good. That's good. Okay. So question number two, dear Bart, I have a good friend who is constantly trying to convince me that her liberal Christianity makes more sense than my atheism and doesn't understand why I don't accept her God who is perfectly loving and affirming and doesn't require the surrender of my critical faculties. The truth is, I'm just enjoying not being part of something like that and going my own way. Even if I could believe it, which I can't, I don't want it. Any advice for helping me articulate why I'm not interested. Wow, what an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I know I'm, what she means about the liberal Christianity. Oh, I got a friend just like that, Jim Burklow. Mm. He's like one of the 
you know, big sort of proponents of progressive Christianity. He's written all these wonderful books. I don't think there's any supernaturalism in his Christian game. He just thinks like this is a better language for describing the loving kindness that we all aspire to. But then you get to the, you get one step below a guy like that and you get to people that are like liberal Christianity is true. Like this is the truth. The truth. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's like what's interesting in this person's question is it says I, I, what's the first line it says something about making sense. Your friend is trying to convince me that her liberal Christianity makes more sense than my atheism. I have a feeling that what she means is that it makes more sense to live this way. Like this is a better way of life. Like, you know, this makes more sense. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a better way to live mm -hmm. rather than this makes more logical sense. Because even progressive Christianity, you're still like, really? It's based on a figure from like some Iron Age myth and, you know, who never traveled more than a little while and like died and supposedly rose again, but you're progressive. So you probably don't think he really rose again. You think that's a symbol. And it's like, a metaphor. Even like, even at its most neutered, the Christian narrative is still a strangely specific story. It is, but it, it can be a specific metaphor rather right. than a specific literal. Which is fine. But what I'm saying is, is that the idea that you go like, it makes more sense than anything else. Like it makes more sense than Islam or it makes more sense than oh, you know, okay. like yeah. progressive Islam or progressive Buddhism or progressive, like, it's still just like, it's a very specific human creation pulled out of the air, you know, created out of, a, out of specific cultures. And so you go like the idea that this, that, that her friend would be going like, really, I think this is the truth. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's what her friend's really saying. No, no, no. That's interesting. You're right. I think what her friend's really saying is just like, isn't this a more attractive narrative to build your life around than the one you've got? That's right. That's right. That it makes more sense in the sense that it's a better way to build your nar narrative. Isn't this more attractive? Yeah. And then our listener, I don't know if it's a, 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 a I don't woman. know, I don't, yeah. I don't know who it is, but like they're, they're sort of saying like, how do I explain to them? Like, it's not that attractive to me. Like, I don't find progressive Christianity to be like ex an exciting option. And, and, you know, how do I explain that? Like, this is not aesthetically pleasing to me. And, and, and like, I don't think it would make my life better. I'm actually enjoying life without it. Yes. And there's an interesting little sentence here where she says, the truth is I'm just enjoying not being part of something like that. I'm enjoying not being part of. It's almost like this, I bet this person used to be like oh, a yeah. church going. Oh, like, I guarantee you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're just loving having Sunday mornings free. I'm so glad to be out. You know, and not having to like explain things in this weird way or yes. do apologetics for why the loving and wonderful God that you believe in allows all this horror. As T.M. Lerman a recent guest would say, it takes a lot of work even to be a progressive Christian, like to believe in any kind of invisible being or even to, to sort of hold on to, to believe that the myth of an invisible being is somehow superior to not carrying a myth of an invisible being. All of that takes work. Yeah. And our listeners are going, you know, I don't see what I would be working for. What I would say is, if, it, if it's really about logical sense, I think the thing is like, the, the sad thing is, is if in fact progressive Christianity, as unappealing as it is to me, were true, if I thought it was true, I'd have to become one. You know, if I really thought it was right, 
And I think our friend probably could do a great job of explaining 99 reasons why she doesn't think it's right or correct or factual. I think what she's saying is like, but how do I explain to my friend like why? Because like you could talk yourself into lots of things that aren't true if you stay with them long enough. You know, you can climb into almost any cult. Yeah, and you can and you can lean into the good stuff and like just explain that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, that's what TM Lerman was talking about. That, you know, people that are in pagan cults or in, in all different kinds of religion, like that kind of work can be done and you can generate the experiences that confirm the narrative and then you're in. Yeah. And so on some level, her friend might be saying like, I know you don't believe it's true, but if you played along, you would end up believing it's true. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think this, this person's going like, that might be true, but like, I don't want to. You know, it's, it's, when I was a Christian, they were having the Toronto <laughs> blessing up in up in Toronto and all these oh, people yeah, were laughing well. and speaking in tongues and falling out and stuff like that. And a bunch of my friends were like, we should go to Toronto and, you know, get the Holy Spirit and have that experience. And I was like, nah, nah, I not me, want to. I have no interest in that. And they go, like, why? That doesn't look like anything I want to be part of. Um, <laughs> and, and you go, like, but if you went up there, you might get wrapped up in it. And I go, like, that's why I'm not going. <laughs> And so I don't want to be one of those people. Right. And so I think on that level, that's probably the place where this uh, person has to go like, you know, how do I explain to somebody why I find their faith unattractive? And if I really want to sort of stay within the spirit of what I think will give you the best life, I think the answer is you can make some jokes about what's unattractive. Like I like my Sunday mornings or, you know, mm -hmm. I have a lot of weird baggage with Jesus you know, mm -hmm. from my old life, you know, I think, I think you explain personal reasons why I'm not saying it's wrong for you or bad for you. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, you shouldn't like vanilla ice cream. I'm just saying like, these are the reasons why I don't like it. Yeah. You know, so you keep it personal. Right. Right. It's, it's about my experiences. It's about my rhythm of life. But I think that the other thing is, is that you're, you're probably your best, your best angle on this one is not to express why you find their faith unattractive, but to express why you find living in the way that you're living attractive. Like what you like about- That's good. Not believing in gods. What you like about facing up to this life as it is, or as, you, as it seems to you. I'm going like, I think I live, I think I die, I think that's the end of me. And like, there's something good about that. And, and it, you know, it's funny because, oh, this is the weird thing when we make an episode, but we've already recorded the next episode. Because the guy we talked to in the next episode, philosopher Todd May, is one of the world's greatest proponents of the idea that death brings meaning and purpose to our lives. And that without death, our lives would be formless. That death is a crucial part of the human experience. Ingersoll said it in his own way many years before, that death is what binds us together. And so the, the interesting thing is somebody- It's this I, finitude, I think, is the way yeah. you've put it, yeah. So I think like her, this friend could say like, no you, no, you don't understand, like, I actually find, the person might say, well, you know, this, this, this offers the promise of eternal life. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I, like, that's not attractive to me. What's attractive to me is the idea of, that every day has infinite significance because there are a limited number of them. And, and I like that. And, and just to go full circle to what you said at the beginning about your reaction to seeing Trump and the diminishment of someone, if you know that your days, you know, especially days this good, this, this peak, you know, this healthy 
you know, this mobile <laughs> yeah. are, are limited. You're, you're going to want to spend them differently. And, and the idea that this person doesn't want to be, you know, hanging out with this person's church friends in a pew, yeah. it might be part of that, right? I don't, I don't want you to take away my urgency. Yeah. I don't want, I, I value my urgency too much. Because I get the impression here that this uh, woman's friend is kind of saying, "Come, come with me on Sunday. Like, come, come with. Me. You'd love these people. You'd, and I'm sure those people are great, but that doesn't mean you necessarily want to spend your time with with them." When again, I think you know, and 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 this is harder for some people to say. And this is one of the skills that I think we need to be developing in each other is the ability to find beautiful and wonderful people who you get together with and talk about meaning and purpose and life and love. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you've done episodes about how to find people. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I think that for instance, the person might say, but like you would love my fellowship. And I go like, I know, but like, I also love my fellowship. Mm -hmm. I love the people that I sit with and talk with about life. And I wouldn't want to give that up. Almost like somebody's coming to you and saying like, really, would you come and do Christmas and Thanksgiving and, and like be part of our family? If somebody said that to me, like, because we're a really loving family, and I go like, I'm sure you are, and I'm glad you have your family. I also have a family that I really love. And you know, if I didn't, this might be a different story, but there's a life that I'm excited about living. And I think sometimes we're that way. I think Todd May would say to her, you know, again, nobody knows who Todd May is yet, but you will in a few weeks because he's the next guest that we're going to have. And I think like a really good secular philosopher would look at somebody like her friend and say, like, I'm glad you have what you have, but like, I love pursuing morality and meaning and love in this way. And so the problem isn't what's so ugly about your progressive Christianity. The problem is, is what's so attractive about my secular humanism. Mm. And that, that would probably be the way I would approach it. And, you know, our, our listener might go like, I haven't yet figured out how to articulate that. And I go like, oh, there's your assignment. Yeah. You know, and it's all of our assignment. And like they have a 2000 year head start. Wow. That's an interesting way to put that. Yeah. They've been literally formulizing this for, for millennia. Yeah. Come and grow old with me. The best is yet to be, says Robert Browning. And at the end of that quote, he's like, because God's going to take us on to this glorious utopia. Mm. And like they have a way of selling. Like, do you see what's beautiful about our way of thinking? And the question is, are there some things that are beautiful about that way of thinking? Yes. There's one thing that really is the fly in the ointment there for me, and as I don't think it's true. The other thing isn't about the fly in their ointment. It's that like when I turn, you know, and the first person that did this for me, not surprisingly, was Robert Ingersoll. When I turn and see the, the dignity of living life as a finite human being, that's inspiring to me. And so I think that, that that's the way you answer a person. When they say, you know, my lifestyle's better than yours, what you want to say to them is, your lifestyle may be better for you, but like, I'm pretty excited about mine. I'm thinking about the way that secular life is default. I think your your dad made this point when when you guys were having your big dialogue several years back. And he was basically saying like, secularism is the default way that people do live the default way that they relate to the world and each other. And so, you know, I'm just sort of thinking about like you saying, you know, Christianity has had a really good head start 
on on everything. But aren't there sort of pieces of secular music and pieces of secular culture that encourage people to, even if it's just, someone might say, the alternative to going to this person's liberal church is sitting on my deck with a fire pit with friends and some beers and just catching up. And that's how I do it. And we're listening to uh, Leonard Cohen when we do it, you know? And it's not necessarily an explicitly secular humanist way of, it's more just a default secular way of being. Does that make any sense? I would have to push back on you and say like, if all you're going to do is sit on the deck and catch up and drink beers, I mean, I I love that, but that's not going to be enough for me. Like you think that's an important part, not that specific thing, but you know, things like it are, are important parts of, of what you're saying, but you're saying there's gotta be another layer. Yeah. I think at some point I need to reflect on the higher things. I need to be challenged. Mm-hmm. I need to be reminded of the meaning of forgiveness and why it's a valuable human tool for living a meaningful life. I need to be challenged to serve my fellow man. At some point I need nobility. And what I would say is I don't think there's any shortage of inspiring secular inspiration to noble living. And in some ways, I think that when it's done in a secular way, there's a much greater chance that the ideal that will be aspired to will be more realistic Mm -hmm. than perfection. I, I think it's, I think it's always possible that things could get better. I don't think it's ever possible that things could be perfect. And so I think that, when I think about some of the old, you know, church, you know, the, the Hallelujah Chorus is a super inspiring song, you know, and he shall reign forever and ever, you know, and this idea of like this eternal utopia. And then you go like, it, does, it doesn't ring true. It stops inspiring me because it's not true. When something is true, truly a possibility of, 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 of growth or better when I see a human being on a human scale do something noble or beautiful. When, when I watch one of those goofy videos where like a, a serviceman comes home from the war and he greets his family and they're surprised, they don't know he was coming and everybody's crying. Like, and I start, and I go, that's, that's real. That's a human scale miracle. That's a human scaled inspiration. Yeah. Hey, so here's the quote I was going to give you. Okay. Okay. It's a, it's a long one, but, but it's a good one. When I became convinced that the universe is natural, that all the ghosts and gods are myths, they're entered into my brain, into my soul, into every drop of my blood, the sense, the feeling, the joy of freedom. The walls of my prison crumbled and fell. The dungeon was flooded with light and all the bolts and bars and manacles became dust. I was no longer a servant, a serf, or a slave. There was for me no master in all the wide world, not even infinite space. I was free, free to think, to express my thoughts, free to live to my own ideal, free to live for myself and those I loved, free to use all my faculties, all my senses, free to spread imagination's wings, free to investigate, to guess and dream and hope, free to judge and determine for myself, free to reject all ignorant and cruel creeds, all the inspired books that the savages have produced, all the barbarous legends of the past, free from popes and priests, free from all the called and set apart, free from sanctified mistakes and holy lies, free from the fear of eternal pain, free from winged monsters of the night, 
free from devils, ghosts, and gods. For the first time, I was free. There were no prohibited places in all the realms of thought, no air, no space, where fancy could not spread her painted wings, no chains for my limbs, no lashes for my back, no fires for my flesh, no master's frown or threat, no following in other steps, no need to bow or cringe or crawl or utter lying words. I was free. I stood erect and fearlessly, joyously faced all worlds. And then my heart was filled with gratitude, with thankfulness, and went out in love to all the heroes, the thinkers who gave their lives for the liberty of hand and brain, for the freedom of labor and thought, to those who fell on the fierce fields of war, to those who died in dungeons bound with chains, to those who proudly mounted scaffold stairs, to those whose bones were crushed, whose flesh was scarred and torn, to those by fire consumed, to all the wise, the good, the brave of every land, whose thoughts and deeds have given freedom to the sons and daughters of men. And then I vowed to grasp the torch that they had held and hold it high, that light might conquer darkness still. That's why I'm not a progressive Christian. <laughs> because this is more beautiful to me. It's not bad, huh? Not bad. Not bad. That sounds like a good place to leave it. Yeah. And that's a, that, that's a good answer. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe there's the answer to our yeah, Memorize that. Question. Make, make yeah, that your Memorize monologue. that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Listen. Thanks for the questions, people. And thanks for supporting the show. And you know what? Since we're thanking people, John, before yeah. we sign off, can I thank a few people? Please do. Tacolier, Robin Gimbrel, Todd Foldenauer, Max Zenick. And, and by the way, those, those are the names people give us. And I think those are the, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're numb to dehumanize me. Phil Hamilton. I actually believe that's his real name. Taylor <laughs> Kaufman, Stefan Volder, and Aaron, who gives no last name, but gives money to support this podcast every month. And Aaron and the rest of you, thank you. Thank you. Because it's just a, it's just the greatest privilege in the world to have this community that we interact with. So yeah, you got questions, send them in. You got comments, send them in. Tell all your friends. I don't tell all your friends. Just tell the friends that you think might actually like the podcast. That we're here chopping it up with really smart, good people trying to somehow learn the stuff from them that will make us more human and more humane. And we will see you next time to do just that thing. Bye. This podcast is made possible by supporters of the show on Patreon. Get an exclusive extra episode every month for less than the cost of a cup of coffee at patreon.com slash humanize me. You'll also get a video newsletter from Bart and some extra goodies. Our patrons make this show happen. So please, if you enjoy it, consider joining us. That's patreon.com slash humanize me. Bart's website where you can contact him is bartcampolo.org. And this episode is produced by Katie Johnson-Smith, me, John Wright, and Bart Campolo. Hey, you could be larger than life.
could